Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. Yeah, I started as an Airbnb host back in 2013. I had a 330 square foot basement apartment in Chicago, Illinois, with a like a hole in the wall that I covered with a, a photo. It's like the whole deal. And like I opened it up because like I needed some like money fast and I didn't make very much in my day job. And like all of a sudden this little apartment was making as much money as I was making annually, which was humbling, but also I saw a big opportunity there. And I realized that like, oh shit, like this only works if you get the price right. Because it doesn't matter if like you nail all of your guest experience, you know, your communications, your listing, all of that stuff. If like you accidentally like forget about a rate and like somebody books it, then they're on your calendar and you can't cancel because then like you like lose any host or any uh, chance of super host status. So it's like, I was like always worried about my prices. And I even remember like back in the day thinking, I wish I could just set my price to say, hey, look at my 10 closest competitors. And I want you to be above them, like far out in advance. So that way, like if I get a booking, like I beat them and great. And then as the booking window closes, I want you to drop below them. So that way I'm more competitive and I'll make sure I get booked if while they go empty. And like, it was remarkable to me that I had that thought back in 2013 and nobody made it like until we made it this year, you know? So, um, you know, we took my entire revenue management approach, turned me into an algorithm because I realized like I should not be like reading the market and analyzing it and, you know, that kind of stuff, because the algorithm in my head is, uh, it, it, it's, it's slow, it's biased, it's yeah. prone to error. Like all of those human complications are at play. But if we could just like externalize it, turn it into a robot and have that do the first 95%, well, great. Well, then I can just come in knowing how it's read the market and like make a little adjustments here and there. Let's say I want to get more aggressive around Christmas for the Kentucky Derby or something like that. So I, I raise my rates up and then, or maybe like at the last minute, I'll pull them down to make sure I get booked. Like it, it's like the, uh, the judgment calls should be in the human's hands, but like all of the data processing needs to be in the robots. Yeah. And we also wanted to give him his time back because he was spending so much time trying to answer client questions. Like how are, am I doing? Or like, how should I price it? We wanted to make that a lot faster. And yeah. so that's what we sought to do. Yeah. And like pricing really should be fast. Like you should be able to say, I want to be in line with my market. I want to be as demand predictive as the very best revenue managers. So like, I want to look at hotels and then I don't want to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Because... I want to focus on guest communications or anything else. So we know that the market conditions change every single day. So our product will read those market conditions every day. So I don't have to yeah. because 
you know, we, we were doing a, a big pricing review with somebody recently and she's like, oh, I just think I'm not doing my pricing right. And, you know, I have like too high in weekends and all of this stuff. And when we looked at it, we realized, oh, actually, no, you're doing great on your pricing. It's your photos that are bad. You like were rushing to get your listings up. You took some photos quickly and like now there are guests in there and it doesn't quite look the same and it's hard to get back in. And so like getting back in there and retaking the photos is really hard. It's going to take a long time and you can't fake it, you yeah, know? Right. But, and so there's no way to like make an algorithm, just handle that problem for her, but that's her barrier. So I say, let's make sure that her price is in line with the market. So she doesn't have to worry about that because she needs to worry about getting in and fixing those photos if she wants her listings to succeed. So that's what we're all about, trying to, trying to automate the, the tricky math. So that way you can focus on the other stuff that humans are better at anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And there are so many other things. And so it's awesome to be able to sleep better. And I know that your pricing is up to par. And like I said, you make those little tweaks, you know, I'm not a girl that believes in set it and forget it. So, oh my gosh. So that's, that's incredible. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, and I know you've offered some, probably not directed to me, but you've offered some criticism on our listing because I do like <laughs> I do like the longer stays. Could you tell me a little bit what the data is showing in terms of the shorter length of stays versus the longer stays and the opportunities therein? Because there are some markets where I know some people have to operate at that 30-day minimum, but the markets where you don't have to, you know, what are your thoughts? What's your um, feedback on that? <laughs> yeah, so every market is going to be a little different, but there's some, some big rules that apply. Generally, if you're in an urban area, you're going to want to have shorter stays because you're going to be able to optimize your calendar by having much higher rates on the weekends, much lower rates during the, the weekdays. And you're going to fill up your calendar with probably eight to 10 stays like throughout the, the course of the month. You know, and like you'll try to have like really quick turnarounds and, and that kind of thing to get your occupancy really high so you can, you know, maximize your, your ADR through like short stays around weekends and then maximize your occupancy around like stays that are happening during the week with business travelers and stuff like that. Like that's the, the urban approach. Now, when you have a leisure home, that's a little bit further outside of a city, then the rules can get fuzzier because on the one hand, most of your, most of your reservations are going to happen around the weekends. And so your price optimization, it's going to be around like getting those weekends right. But it also means that your occupancy is probably going to be lower because you're going to miss like some number of Mondays through Wednesdays because the states are so weekend heavy. So in those cases, if you can get a 30 night stay, then you're probably going to beat your competitors just because you're at 100% occupancy for that month and they're at 60, you know, it's like, yes, they nailed like three nights every weekend, but you know, that's not even half the week. You know, they're, they're then at 45% occupancy. So yes, they probably beat you in terms of ADR on the weekends, but like over the course of the whole month, you're probably going to make more money. There are also fewer of those people who want to stay for, for 30 nights, but uh, so you're going after a, a smaller pool, but if you can get it, then your rev par will be really high. Yeah. That's, that's so awesome because I don't think I've ever seen or heard anyone explain it that way. And you just put into words exactly my firsthand experience. And I try to tell people I'm more of a, you know, 14 to 30 days they go. And they're like, but you're losing money. I said, I'm not really. I'm like, 
I promise you, I'm not. <laughs> Thank you for breaking it down for me in layman's terms. Why I, you know, felt like we're still because we compared our, our properties to the yeah. others, and we're still, you know, like you, you've seen top of the market, 90, 99 percentile. So definitely, definitely awesome. So benchmarking. Okay, so we had a talk actually this week. And uh, we went through the different data points or parameters that pricing tools looked at. And we looked at all of the, let's call them the legacy, you know, tools. And we were not 100% sure who's looking at what specifically. But the data points that I shared with my group what, uh, were the following. Hotel occupancy, hotel rates, uh, competitor occupancy, competitor rates. And a few others, I can't remember off the top of my head. I told them I'm not the revenue management expert, but these are the things that we would want to look at to make that comparison. Now, for our properties in the Poconos, I know that they're going to be using data points from key data. And then I know some organizations use transparent, I think it's, is what it's called. And so we kind of did a high level overview of that. What is Bowie looking at in terms of the whole dynamic pricing tool management? What are you looking at? Is it hotel? Is it competitor? Or is it both? What are you looking at? Yeah. So the philosophy behind Bowie is that your rate is part of a market current of sorts. So you and all of your competitors are priced similarly. And what Bowie does is, is it says, okay, I'm looking at all of the one bedrooms in your area. Let's say it's pricing a one bedroom. It's only going to look at the one bedrooms. And it really zeroes in and tries to find the one bedrooms that are the most similar to you. And then it tries to beat them. It's like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that my rate is a little bit higher on the weekends. And I'm going to make sure that my, my rate is a little bit lower on the, on the low uh, days. And we call that floating, which is why, yeah. that's why we're called buoy because you yes. float on that market current. And so it'll, it'll change every day, you know, but your position relative to your competition remains the same. And we say like, okay, as, as the booking window extends, we're going to raise your rate relative to everybody else, because if you get booked now, then that means you're going to make more money than them. Mm -hmm. And then as you make more money, you get assigned a higher and higher competitive cohort. And so it's like, all right, I just meet everybody who's at the 65th percentile. My home is now sitting at the 70th percentile. Now I'm trying to beat them to get to the 75th up to the 80th and, and so on and so on. And so it's a, it's a way that the algorithm can find the max possible rate that a market will, will give to your listing. So it's, it's telling you, this is what I think the max amount that you can get out of this market is. Whereas with the base rate algorithms, they're a little bit more focused on protecting an asset. They're saying like, hey, we, we know you've got to make your mortgage. We know it's 3,100 or you know, whatever it is. Like we're going to get you that much money per month. And then we're going to optimize to make sure you're getting a little extra too. We like throw all of that out the window. We say, what does the market say that we can get for your place? Let's go get that. And I don't care about protecting the asset because like we're going to do way better than that. Well, and it's also because since COVID, everything has changed with historicals and where things were priced at one point. So basing your pricing off of market conditions rather than historicals or on a base rate is going to like push you in a better spot to make more money. Um, and then we we call all of this our buoyancy point so that like it's all very positive. We want you to float on your market. We want you to feel like you're being carried with the current and that you will rise with the tide. Yeah. So I, I just want everybody to feel like they they understand their market really well and yeah. like 
I, I want you to be able to read your revenue forecast as easily as you read your weather forecast. You know, they are equally important to the travel industry. You know, you have to know if like you're, you're healthy or like if you're headed into a, uh, you know, a destructive storm. And so um, I want people to like spend two to five minutes, like in our product a couple of times a week. So they're like, hold on, what's my booking environment like? Oh, now I know. Great. Yeah. Now I'm going to go worry about something else. <laughs> Awesome. So say I'm getting started based on your philosophy. How do I price my property? What do I look at to even get started with the pricing? Yeah. So the first thing that we do is we give you a comp set that's based off of, first of all, we say we look at the thousand closest listings of your same bedroom count. Then we match on bathrooms and, and that kind of stuff. We then match on size, reviews, you know, maturity, all of that kind of stuff. After that, we then look at revenue. So if you have a revenue history, then we say like, these are the people who are, who are actually making that amount of money. And then if you have a new listing, then you can say, I want to make this amount of money. It says, these are the people who are making this amount of money. And then the last thing that we look at is occupancy profile. So we say like, okay, you kind of have a big booking window. You're by the beach. You're like getting booked on weekends. You are a family vacation spot, you know, with your four bedroom house. So it's like, it's easy to, to look at the occupancy profiles and tell what the revenue strategy has been. So we, we match based on that. So based on that, we'll identify like 30 to 60 listings that are really comparable to yours. These are the ones your, your guests are choosing between when they book you. And then we say, all right, we're going to use that as a baseline. And then we're going to look at the hotels because we know that they're way better demand predictors than vacation rentals tend to be. The way I was a good demand predictor as a vacation rental revenue manager was by copying off of the hotels. That's like literally all that I did. And so uh, they just, Why? Like, they're better at identifying demand. They have contracts with Ariana Grande's event production company, you know? So like they get told before the concert gets announced. So that way, like the hotel rates go up one day in advance. The hotels are never shocked by events no. or event production. So why it's just it's such a good thing to copy because they have the infrastructure and the history to know when things happen and the contracts to like know when things are going to keep yeah. going. And they're like they're professionally trained revenue managers who have been doing it for their lives and just like think about it way, way, way more than you will. The hotel industry is also way older than vacation rentals, yeah. rental industry. And so yeah. taking cues from them is always a good thing. Yeah. Cause like, I don't need to like read the markets in the Philippines and like, look at like flight patterns and all of this stuff to like, look at a crystal ball and figure out somewhere. Right? I just copy off of the homework of the people who do. And like, I make sure that I copy off 50 to a hundred of their homeworks. So that way we're net, like never out of whack. Yeah. That's incredible. I think that's absolutely amazing because like you said, it's buoyant, right? It is moving. It's a moving target. And so yeah. to stay ahead of that curve, there is no way that a human being, an individual human being can really stay ahead of that curve. Well, and if he tried to do that, that's what was taking him so long and why trying to make other systems do this thing for him just didn't quite work. So you can actually do the things he's doing on your own, but it would just take a, a ridiculous amount of time. And so that's, that's why it's, we're able to explain the algorithm so well, because it's something you can do. It's just, we have it already done so yeah. that it can give him his time back. And it would also like for a human to do it, it would be overkill because yeah. you would check every day every and day. like one out of a hundred days, you would find something that you needed to change right away. Yeah. You know, and like. The thing though is, if one of those days is Austin City Limits or the Super Bowl, if you miss one of those days and get a bad booking, 
it is so painful and so destructive to your rate methodology yeah. that like, it's just, it's really hard to recover. So it makes it worth it. If you can do it every day, it's worth it like to do it. But humans don't have that kind of time. No. You, you need to like go talk to your guests and, and any of that. So like let a robot check that every single day and let you know when they find something. I love it. I love done for you stuff. And when someone else is doing it for <laughs> I'm here for it. But again, I don't set it and forget it. So I will look to make sure that if there are tweaks or if something looks off, definitely want to want to make sure that I'm on top of that as well. I was just going to say, you should do that because you know your listings better than anybody else. Sure, an algorithm can tell you when things are changing in your market, but you know the guests who are coming to stay with you. And you might have specific things you want on for that guest experience, which will reflect in your pricing. So it's just you tweaking it should happen and it yeah. should be seamless for you to do so. And I think that it's also important because part of what you're doing as revenue managers is you're trying to understand your market. And part of the way that we understand it is by playing with it. And yeah. like, like humans are curious and like nudging the rate up $20 and seeing how it feels, you know, and then maybe you go back later and change it. But like that we're curious people and like that, that's kind of how we understand things. So I think that's an important part of the process, even if it's not as scientific as the first 95%. And instincts should be re rewarded by our algorithm saying like, so if you get a better booking and it's based on your instincts, that's really great. But at least you knew where you were was going to make you money and your instincts did the bit on top of that. So it's just being collaborative is what we wanted to build into our platform. That's awesome. And so as far as booking windows, so to speak, how far in advance should I open my calendar what if I'm afraid, you know, if my calendar is open too far in advance, someone's going to book it, something um, catastrophic is going to happen, you know, how we kind of catastrophize. So for years and years, I was keeping it at the, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, then I would inch another 90 days. But I feel like that's missed opportunity because we accidentally left it open and someone requested Thanksgiving of next year. And it was like, like a year later, it was like, whoa, like this is a planner. And there are a lot of people who are planners out there. And I think um, that is a major shift. People are going to secure that vacation come, you know, they're not going to disappoint. So yeah. they're planning ahead. So tell me, what's your philosophy on that? How far in advance should I be opening my calendar? Yeah. So I, you should open your calendar as far as you have data to support. We have data out. 12 months from today. So that's how long we we recommend people publish their rates because there are planners out there. There are people who are going to make a purchase in that six to 12 month period. I actually refer to this as the twilight period because so many people either have their calendars blocked or they, they're priced prohibitively. And so there's an opportunity there to get this like couple of reservations from these planners. And those people like, they will hold on to that reservation no matter what because they're booking out of fear. They either need to be in that location and they think that like the, the supply is scarce and it's also like artificially depressed because so many places are, are off the market or they are like traveling from a really long way away and they just want to have everything locked in. Yeah, so if you have data out that far, then definitely take advantage of it because it's, it's not like a, a really common occurrence that people are booking that far out for, for good ADRs, but sometimes they do. And like, I, I think those are some great reservations. If you don't have data looking out that far, then I understand the instincts to like keep the calendar a little bit more closed. 
But what's probably going to happen is you're going to forget that it's like opening up as, as it goes. And like some rate that you haven't had set six months from now is going to open up. So my advice is there's data now. Like everybody has as the data, go find it and open up your calendar. Just do that responsibly. So we did get a question in the chat. How do you check restrictions regarding short-term rentals? I answered this in my clubhouse just yesterday. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, so search. So go to google.com and type in city name, municipal code, vacation rental ordinance. And if there is, if there's something on the books or like if it was discussed in a town council meeting or something like that, it's going to show up. So city name, municipal code, vacation rental ordinance. Awesome. Thank you. So we even got a bonus one. <laughs> but I wanted to pause here and see, Tip, if you're interested in sharing a little bit about what we are looking at with some numbers, some benchmarking with the local yeah. locus growth market, would that be? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like the time has come. So everybody knows that there are a whole bunch of Airbnbs in your area. And if you're anything like me as a host, you're trying to figure out like, okay, who are my competitors and how are they performing and all of that kind of stuff. And so you just like kind of click around on their listings and try to see how they're priced and guess, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not very scientific. And to be honest, like nobody publishes this information, like nobody puts it out there until now. So, um, <laughs> so sorry, we're, we're being silly today. Uh, but I, so I, I come bearing gifts. What, what this is, is this is a market breakdown of locust growth. Um, so over here we have, uh, we have the Airbnb listing ID, and then we've got the, you know, how many beds it has. And then we have the revenue looking back, uh, over the past year. So this is like total revenue over the past year. And then, um, also a, a little bit into the future. And we, do, we rank every single listing in the market based on how much money it has earned. And so let's say that you, you know, have this listing and you want to see how you stack up versus everybody else. Well, then you can just go ahead and you can see how you stack up in against the other five beds. Or if you've got a one bed, you can do that. Locust Grove is a pretty small market, so it's not hard to, to look at this, but you can see, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I made $1,400 this month, you know, oh, I made $2,100. So I was, I was the top one bed in, you know, December, uh, September of that year. And then because that's not the whole story, I also like to give a ranking. So um, for every month, you can see like who was at the, the 99th percentile and, and so on and so on, on all the way down. So um one thing that we can do here is let's say you're evaluating a purchase and you're saying, okay, I've got a three bed that I can purchase in Locust Grove. So I want to see how much a three bed is going to make in Locust Grove and get an idea of like, wh- like how much house I can afford. So we sorted this down to three beds and we said, oh, okay. It looks like there's kind of three tiers here. Someone is crushing it. Someone's doing all right. And then someone's sort of lagging behind. And then we say, okay, let's take a look at these listings and figure out uh, if I think I can build a listing that's every bit as good. So I copy this number here. You go to Airbnb, type in airbnb.com slash room slash that number and take a look. So this is that that first place. This is the top three bed in Locust Grove. It's made $100,000. So it's doing great. And it is a 53-acre like cabin country semi-estate with like its own private water and all of this stuff. So it's like, oh, okay. 
I see why this listing is doing a really, really good job. I can see why it's making so much money because it's, it's a unique experience where it could be a family retreat or anything like that. It's a three bedroom house, but man, it's got quite the package, like full on pole barn with like, like machines and all sorts of stuff. Nice. So, uh, they're, they're doing great. Eight guests, three beds, three bedrooms, four beds. So, okay, there we go. That's the top of the market. And you might say, well, that's fine. I don't know that I'm going to buy a 53 acre property, three acres, <laughs> <laughs> but it does let us know what's at the top of the market. So uh, we're going to assume that this is a, a scale down because this guy is making half as much money. So let's, let's take a look at this guy. Okay. Still locust growth, like still cute, but like this is reasonable. I, I can see the path between like me and getting to this house. You know, the design is a little weird. We've got it. We got a chandelier. <laughs> we, got, we got like a, the chandelier country style fusion, but I can tell like, this is a solid wood sleigh bed. Like yeah. somebody had furniture that they probably owned. And then that went to this house. And that, that means a lot because a lot of vacation rentals have kind of crappy furniture from Ikea or Wayfair. Um, and so this place probably feels like a substantial house and it's making, making okay money. One thing that we're going to check though, is I'm going to see if they accept a stay. They've got a 14 night minimum. And so who knows, maybe that's depressing their performance. Maybe that's not, you know, it depends how the travel market here is in uh, Locust Grove. If you're buying a home, you should really kind of have an idea of like what that demand is like. Okay, so now let's let's look once again at the low listings. So this one has been it's like been around for just as long as the others, you know, even longer than than the top performer, and it has only once did it break three thousand wow. dollars. So let's let's go ahead and see what this one looks like. Super cute place. <laughs> this place is so cute. It's like. I expected this to be a slum. You know what I mean? I expected it to be like, oh no. man, so you just like left their stuff behind. But it's like- Pictures could are, use a little love, but super cute. Yeah. Yeah, but they've got like this cool, like lit up gazebo thing. That's fun. Like they've got the Adirondack chairs and like, look at those like fields of dandelions or daisies or something. It's like, <laughs> man, it, it's like- I mean- You're right. Look, these, some of these photos- can This be this photo is a problem. A Th problem. This one should not have made the cut. Yeah. You I know what I mean? I tell you- <laughs> I would know that if I bought this house and put a little bit of money into it, I could probably do a lot better than this. I know it's never made over 3K, but like we could probably hit 7K on this guy. And one other thing to check here is they're booked out. They no. probably, I think they probably have a long guest in there, but they've also got the seven night minimum. Not the end of the world. For me, I'm like, if you're going to, if you're looking for week long stays, your three night minimum should be enough to, to get you close to a week long stay and you'll have way, way, way more searches. So like, I'm kind of like a three week or two day kind of guy. It's like, if you're going to go for long stays and really go for long stays, then like make your min stay 21 or something like that. And then if you're going to go for the short stays, then like just make it two. Anyway, I thought this was really interesting because this lets me know, okay, if I'm going to buy a house for the purposes of making a, a vacation rental, how much can I earn? And also how nice does it have to be relative to the competition in the area? I could tell like if this one came on the market, I could turn this around and make some money with it. So you could essentially reverse engineer this report and proactively, you know, identify a property, use the data on this report and, and say yay or nay. I mean, this is even better than the performance that 
better than any performer that I've seen, honestly, which is, you know, providing data based on some rent rolls and um, projections that may or may not be there. So this is, this is amazing. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And again, we'll, we'll do it for anybody. Just, just reach out and we'll, we'll make one of these for you. Guys, you heard it here in our luxury real estate investing group for financial independence. Tim and Candace are are both offering (laughs) to provide you all an analysis. Do not miss out on this opportunity. They've analyzed some uh, properties for me. And honestly, it has changed how we're going to be doing business in one of these markets. So it's actually up a level, my confidence at this one particular property that I was looking at. I was a little bit on the fence with it, but now that I see what the competition is doing and the opportunity there, it's it's really that great market intelligence that you need to move forward. So take advantage. If they go to buoy.us, and then I think you like smack that in the middle if you scroll a little bit, it says ask a revenue manager. Is that where it's at? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's a form there and you can just fill it out put anything that you're interested in letting us know in that form and we will get back to you. Yeah. Just tell me a, a market or send me an Airbnb link and say, please. And like, buoy.us, <laughs> buoy.us guys. And then they just fill out their name and that little form there, name, email address, and your question. And guys, um, Tim and Candace are super, super responsive. Leverage that. They're still in the process of launching Buoy to all of us. It's wonderful to help people like this. And it serves for us to get to know everybody that we're trying to help. So we're getting a lot of information when we talk to you guys. And it's just, we're learning a ton. So this is definitely both ways. It's it's wonderful to help. Yeah. And like, it's an inspiration to see so many people like, you know, on, on this path to generational wealth, you know, like, yeah building wealth for themselves and their families. Like that's how we have used the vacation rental industry. That's what we're trying to do. And so like we, this is knowledge that can be shared. There's no like win or take all. It's possible for everyone to like rise with this. And that's what we believe in. Yeah. And like pricing, pricing is just not that difficult if you have good data. And so like, I- We got the data. (laughs) It's so helpful. I love just being able to like give somebody this little bit of help to like- free up so much more of their time and yeah. help them focus better on their business. Yeah. So thank yeah. you all. Rachel, thank you for creating such a wonderful environment for like questions and like insights. You have made such a welcoming space and it has been lovely to like get to know you through this journey. Well, you guys, I so appreciate you. And we have an incredible group. This is the space we really wanted to create. Especially it's it's going to be a team sport, y'all. Like yeah. we're busy. a lot of us are busy professionals. You know, so if we can kind of support each other, this is really what I wanted. Like you said, it it doesn't have to be winner takes all. There's enough, you know, meat left on the bone for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's community because there's so many people trying to go out and enjoy a vacation and we are in that space so we can make things enjoyable. And yeah, there's just so much to share. Yeah. And we were talking to somebody yesterday who just like, she had been on vacation. She went to an Airbnb. She had a great experience. She was like, wait, I could do this, this thing that this person's doing. And like, she borrowed some money and opened up some places and like is on a path to quit her job. She's like building the side business. That's going to be her full business. And then she'll be able to run it from her phone and she won't have to like, you know, be in the boardroom at 8am or like whatever it is, just have more control over her life. 
and that's that's why we built this because i wanted him to have control over his life too i mean he was spending so much time for his clients and if we could just automate him well then i get him back and so that's (laughs) it's very low and then we get we get automated uh systems in place for ourselves too because you're right you're right how do you really duplicate someone like Tim, right? And it's through the algorithm, it's through the computer. And I got another question. Do you have insight into the rental arbitrage where you rent as long-term rental and then use it as a short-term rental? Do you yeah. have any insight into that? Yeah, so that's how I ran my business. Um, and that's how a lot of the businesses that I uh, have consulted for run their businesses. It is better and more secure to buy a home but i understand that like that's that's also a, a pretty big barrier and you know renting a few may be your path to owning you have to do a couple of things number one make sure like don't do it on the sly like i did it on the sly <laughs> years ago and i got my ass handed to me don't get your ass handed to you make go into it it is a partnership with your uh, landlord what i recommend is like if you have to do the lease arbitrage model, then that means that the landlord is probably not entirely bought in because if they were bought in, then they would want to do a revenue share and they would pay you a 20% commission to be their property manager. That's a, a, a way better business model for you. But I understand there are going to be a lot of landlords who have a barrier there. And they're like, no, I budgeted out to receive this much per month. I know that I can get this much from a long-term renter. So it's either going to be you or them. So that's how I want it. And if that's the uh, model that you enter into, do your homework. Just like do your homework because it'll it'll come back to bite you. The other thing is set up an LLC. Like, like have, have, a, like have a, a lease contract that doesn't say like, you know, Chicago contract for tenancy, you know? Have it set up where at the very top, it says like subleasing arrangement for short-term rentals. So like, because when I went to court, you know, with my first landlord that I worked with and he was trying to say that he didn't know that I was renting out on Airbnb, I was able to be like, oh, you didn't know this? Like, isn't this your signature right here on this document? And because I had the LLC, like, even though it blew up, it was okay. So that's my advice. Set up an LLC. You're entering into a partnership with your landlord do property management uh, instead if you can. And if you can't, then like really do your homework and like make your money and use that as a foundation to either buy or become a property manager. Interesting. Interesting. So the property management, other than the barrier to entry being the lowest in terms of the initial investment, you know, because there shouldn't be any initial investment potentially, Right. Right. Is that why you prefer the most? Because the initial investment is going to be zero or just about zero. Yeah. So there's there's that, and then also you're just you're not on the hook, you know, yeah. for the for the money. And so if something happens like COVID, you don't then have to go and like severely renegotiate everything and say, oh my god, I know that we said we're going to be able to make you this much, we can't make you that much anymore, and like you got to understand, it's just like a force of nature. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. I know a lot of people like lost units altogether or like had their businesses go under because they were locked into lease arbitrage contracts and the the like the stay Alfreds, right? Like the yeah, I hate the name yeah. Job, but we had some really yeah. big ones. <laughs> Although, okay. So the other thing about so I'll, I'll say I'll I'll talk now. The other thing about those businesses is 
there was all of this venture capital money pumping into pumping into short-term rentals back in 2017, 2018. I was at a company that received a, a huge investment like that. They were investing in these companies as if they were tech companies because these companies were saying, hey, we're actually tech companies. Like we look like we're vacation rental operators. We look like we're a decentralized hotel, but we're actually developing this software for property management, this check-in software and this and this and this and this. But like, it turns out that they weren't very good at that because they were actually good at like having people stay there. And they were so focused on growth, like, acquiring new listings that they were signing bad deals, signing out like a premium above the market, make, you know, just so they could show growth to make their venture capitalist investors really happy. And they did not make the right decisions for the long-term health of the business. All of the small companies that I worked with who had really fundamentally sound businesses and close relationships with their, their landlords, they all survived and are doing better now because the Forrest Gump effect happened. Like all of the weaker competition got wiped out and now there's a, a depressed market where they are some of the few survivors. And indeed, these guys are now like the very top performers in, in their market because they're the ones who made it past COVID. Gotcha, gotcha. And so that is honestly the beauty of this business. There are so many ways to host, you know, like he said, landlord owner hosting their property that they own. It's going to be the highest um, profitability, I think. And, and we've experienced that compared to all of the other ways to host. Arbitrage is definitely an option, but very risky as you shared um, your personal experience. But I'm sure there are ways with everything, right? Is there a way? What are some, what are your top three suggestions to mitigate the risk with arbitrage? Yeah. So make sure it's clear and clearly defined. This is a sublease or master lease, corporate, you know, uh, contract and you're not staying on property. Someone else is staying, just making sure that that's clearly defined. So yeah, clarify that contract, have a contract for corporate housing or, or something corporate like that. There's, mm -hmm. there's an attorney who can put this together for you. These models exist. They'll protect you. Mm -hmm. Set up an LLC. So you are personally protected. Just like, mm -hmm. these are just things that you have to do. And it's not that difficult, like with legal zoom and stuff like that. Like the U S is really good at getting you set up with an LLC. And then see if I've got one more tip, it would just be like really real, like just call around to everybody in an area that, that you want to um, go into, because I found that there's often like, there will be a, a building or something where the rent is like $500 less per month, or, or there's some special or something like that happening. And if you can take advantage of those opportunities, it'll really pay off over the, like the long-term health of the business, just because like you're you're spending a little bit less money every month. And the lease arbitrage model is just really tricky to make it work because you have to pay so many people before you pay yourself yeah. that like at the end of the month, sometimes there's just like not that much left over, especially mm -hmm. like if you're in a, if you're in a market with a lot of seasonality, like Chicago or a lot of Midwestern cities, you're going to get murdered in January and February. You know, you're, you just are. And so you have to make sure that you've like saved up enough money from June through October that it survive like survives the rest of the winter. And when you're you're not covering all of your costs in those months, you have enough left over to to pay the landlord. That can be scary. What I suggest people do instead is go to somebody who has a like great track record. Somebody who's doing this already and like owes you a favor, something, and offer to work with them for free for a period of time, like a month or two, three months, and become a co-host on their account. 
So on Airbnb, you can add, I think, three co-hosts. So become a co-host and get all of those guest communication reps in and all of that stuff. Figure out how all of those stays happen. Get really good at your job. And then take that wealth of reviews and go to your landlords that, that you're talking to and say, hey, hire me as a property manager. I can make you more money than you're going to make if I enter into a lease arbitrage business with you anyway. So these are the stays that I've actually managed. These are the reviews. This is how much money it's made. I want to do the same thing for you. So that way, like you've got something that you can show them that's like a provable track record and you're not just like giving them a promise. That's a good one. Okay, um, Tim is dropping some gems today. I hope everyone picked up on that amazing, amazing information. I will add that it's going to be state specific too, um, because if you are in certain states, you may need a um, a realtor license to do some of that activity if you, in fact, are going to be the person holding the money. But there are ways around that to say the you know landlord would hold the money, then you get your cut. So it's going to be a. What do you think? It's a relationship game. Also, you got to. My philosophy is okay. not better like that landlord. I bet like if. If they look at me funny, I'm not doing business with them. That landlord relationship has to be really a good one because that landlord can make or break your business, really. Right. When you agree right. to them. You have to know that like if shit goes down and regulations change or there's another pandemic or like, you know, business travel dries up in an urban market because everybody's working remotely, like your business is going to come down to the strength of that relationship. Because it's their business too. And so two of you are trying to like take money from a human being and like put it into a building and like you're collaborating. So that that relationship has to be really strong or else like when the wind blows, it's, it's going to knock the house down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, this was incredible. I cannot thank you enough. And um, yeah, the level of engagement is real, guys. Love to have you all deep dive a little bit more with us. If there's a market that anyone here is interested in, um, Tim and Candace coming back on and doing a little bit of a deep dive, happy to do so. Thank you guys and have a great weekend. Thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Bye now.